Hello, Wyong College basketball listeners. We're going to get to the podcast from Colorado Springs in just a minute. But first, training camps are here. Yes, football is back. And guess what? The Pick 6 NFL podcast will be with you all preseason, just like they've been in your podcast inbox every day throughout the entire offseason. Join host Will Brinson, our buddy, daily to catch up from the latest around the league with an added fantasy and gambling twist. Brinson, you're one of a kind. Make sure you're ready for the 2019 NFL season and download and subscribe to our buddy on the Pick 6 podcast anywhere they are found. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, July 28, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports. I own college basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. We're both in Colorado Springs, Colorado, because this is where uh, USA Basketball held its junior national team mini camp uh, this week. It just concluded a few hours ago. We were here each of the past two days watching some of the nation's top prospects alongside Dozens of college basketball coaches, among them national champions like Mike Krzyzewski, Roy Williams, John Calipari, Tom Izzo, and the most recent national champion, Tony Bennett. This event represents the end of the much-debated new recruiting calendar, so that's something we'll definitely get into, but... Uh, first things first, been a few good days here in Colorado Springs, right, Norlander? It has. You know what? This is a solid event. Our first time in this uh, wonderful city, up, uh, what, 7,000 feet high in elevation, something like that. But it's been it's been good. I've, I've been enjoying it. What about yourself? Yeah, we've never been here because of the recruiting calendar, frankly. Um, up until this year, we would always spend this week in Las Vegas. Shout to... Shouts to the Cosmopolitan. Yeah, of course. We miss you dearly. Hakkasan. Shouts to Bottle Service. <laughs> Miss you dearly. Hard to get bottle service in Colorado Springs. Could not find a spot. Could not Shocker. find. Could not find a spot with bottle service in Colorado Springs. So that's one difference between this place and Las Vegas. But normally we'd be in Las Vegas, as you know, um, if you listen to this podcast at all. The recruiting calendar got changed, so coaches were not allowed to evaluate in Las Vegas. Therefore, we decided not to go. Even though lots of players are still there, the Bronny James was there. Bronny James was there. Lots of coaches aren't there. The coaches are are largely here, so we are here. And I do think it's been a um, a really good experience. I I don't think it's um, the the greatest place to evaluate prospects, frankly. Right. But um, because we really didn't see competitive games until the Sunday fight. night. Yeah, 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 Sunday night. But uh, if you are trying to get access to prospects and access to college coaches. Um, this is pr- maybe the best place to do it. Felt like the best place to do it. Yeah. Now, only two coaches per school are allowed to attend. Um, that's a USA basketball rule, not an NCAA rule. Right. They say it might be for space as much as anything, which I, I kind of buy, but I don't know. Seemed like I, we had plenty of space. There was there was plenty of space. There, there are two different separate gyms uh, at the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Training Center. Uh Cozy confines. I don't think they had ever had this many players for this event either. There were about 80 guys. Some of the top end prospects in 2020 didn't show. We'll get into some of that stuff later in the podcast, just in terms of that trend with some of the top end guys and specifically rising seniors. But a lot of really good uh, 21 and 22, and even Wani Wags Jr., Dwan Wagner Jr.'s son, who is a 2023 prospect. He was here as well. So it was. Uh, it was. It's a solid event. It definitely is now. This happening this year on this weekend at the same time as the NCAA College Basketball Academies, which we'll also get to because I was in stores in Connecticut before coming here, they ran concurrently 
that won't happen again because they they want the the academies want to try their best to get a lot of the guys that would be here there remains to be seen if they'll actually yeah, be able luck. to pull that yeah i know it will remains to be seen if they can actually pull that off but this this event i will say usa basketball does a really good job with it the coaches it's not a couple coaches said you can do a little bit of evaluating. It's not an ideal setting. Obviously, there's no better ideal setting than tournament basketball when you're when you're playing in that bracket format like the EYBL and Under Armour and the Gauntlet with Adidas and all that stuff. But uh, but you are having elite prospects playing against each other. You got some some good games here tonight, and uh, this just you know it's it's here to cultivate USA basketball and kind of just get them into the pipeline. Here, there are guys. Th- frankly, there are 14 and 15 year olds now. No one really knows about. But three, four years from now, whether they can go right into the league or not or go into college basketball, like they will eventually become pretty big names. So we got good looks on them in addition to uh, getting some interesting information and conversation in with a lot of coaches. And the USA basketball people could not be more helpful. Um, yeah, they, I agree. They were super helpful. Um, they made everybody accessible. And I'm not trying to compare one event to another, but it felt very different from, say, Peach Jam, which is – Super crowded, super like structured. They yeah. they're watching where you sit. They yeah. watching who you're talking to. They want to know when you're talking to somebody, what you're talking about. Here it was like, hey, I want I'd like to speak with Jalen Johnson, the young man who just committed to Duke earlier this month. Sure, we'll get him for you. They'll go get him, walk him over to you, introduce him to you. Um, and so the the USA basketball staff, for our purposes, super helpful. And there's. No crowds here. Like, There's, fans are It's not here. open to the public. It's not open to the public. Right. So it's really just me, Norlander, other media members, players, family members of players, and college coaches. That's the only people in the and, gym. And NBA scouts can't attend. NBA so, scouts were here as well. So there were – I probably I, – I counted maybe about 15, 16 NBA scouts that, that decided to swoop in there. But, no, definitely uh, this is a beneficial thing. There's no doubt about it. The interesting thing, GP, is – where they decide to move it, or if they don't move it, the NCAA and will let then me move be clear. By, say, by this, by move it, you don't mean move it from Colorado Springs. You mean move it in the calendar. Correct. Move it in the calendar. Will it stay this spot? If so, on the calendar, will the college basketball academies uh, get moved elsewhere? But Dan Gavin, the NCAA, are working in concert with USA Basketball to to get all that. So this this was a. Oh, oh, an interesting year for recruiting in the calendar. And it's also a one-time thing in terms of how things kind of, you know, smashed up against each other unintentionally. Yeah, so our uh, d- review of our first time at USA Basketball would be positive. And uh, I yeah. imagine we'll be back here uh, as long as it makes sense from a calendar perspective. Uh, let's move on okay. to bigger issues. So we talked at length about the new recruiting calendar on the previous podcast, even though our buddy Jeff Goodman – suggested we should wait until the final evaluation period was over before we drew any definitive conclusions well now it's over it's done it ended tonight and what i wrote and said a few weeks back is that if you called the old recruiting calendar package a and you called the new recruiting calendar package b that the majority overwhelming majority of college coaches would prefer package a the previous recruiting calendar because it was a better package, and I also predicted at the time that the new NCAA-run regional camps would not be well-received because I thought they'd largely be without top-tier talent. I know some argued that I was premature in my criticism. I know Frank Martin, the South Carolina coach, thought, that, after you. thought that I was uh, subtweeting like crazy. Subtweeting it like wasn't crazy. just him, but he was he was definitely subtweeting like crazy. Hey, you know what? Shouts to Frank Martin. Shout, definite shouts to Frank Martin. Uh, and so, listen, 
I felt like I hadn't had enough information to, to have a pretty good grasp on the idea that this recruiting calendar, as reshaped by the NCAA, was not an improvement on the system. But some people said, let's wait. Okay, it's over with now. So you tell yes. me, Norlander, is the new recruiting calendar, the one we just lived and the one coaches just lived and the one prospects just lived? Simple question. Yeah. Is it better or worse than the old recruiting calendar? It's worse. It's worse. It is worse. It's not going to change. It's worse. Now, as we discuss this, some listeners are like, you know what? I'm, I'm a fan of Kansas. I'm a fan of Duke. I'm a fan of Western Kentucky, whatever. You know, how does this – why do I even care? I'll tell you why you should really if – you're, if you're the kind of person listening to a college basketball podcast on July 29th, um, you're obviously fairly invested in the sport. And the way the recruiting calendar is built – not only is, are, are the players that are getting recruited the future of college basketball, but there's, I think, real concern and not just, you know, phony consternation among the coaches that the new schedule from April and then into July and a little bit of June as well is going to only worsen the transfer issues that are within the sport because you don't have as many evaluation days. The evaluation days that you have, not just from here, from the NCAA College Basketball Academies, I'll get to that in just a minute, they aren't as effective. And so a natural byproduct, a consequence of all of this, is you are not going to be able to, to get enough eyes on these guys. You're going to have missed evals, for better or for worse, in terms of whether the player is playing up or should be playing further down. Either way... That will that will just lead to and I I expect and many coaches expect it will lead to a higher rate of transfer in college basketball. Which sometimes I think that issue gets blown too out of proportion. But you you can't deny that if you've got right now it's you know six fifty seven hundred and if you if you encroach upon nine hundred guys that are not leaving the sport but just simply swapping from one team to another, it's not beneficial. So I think that's the biggest reason why. If you're if you're a fan and you're not dealing with this on the front lines, that there should be some real concern with that. I don't think you can fight that. I think that we are GP. I think we're going to get to 2022, 2023, and we will look, and there will be more kids switching schools. Not for no reason, but just it's an it's an unavoidable problem. I think for college hoops. Well, the other reason I think that that fans do care or should care is because forget how the recruiting calendar of you know it doesn't affect your day to day life. I get it. Right. Um. But but what it does do is it it. It affects your favorite coaches' day-to-day -day life. It affects the, their ability to recruit, like you said. It affects the number of prospects they see, they see, how often they see them, how well they're able to evaluate them. And on a, on, a, on a bigger scale, what I think it is, quite clearly, at least to me at this point, it is another example of the NCAA. First off, not identifying a problem, but having it put right on their front step in this case mm -hmm. by the FBI, and then acknowledging the problem, okay, we've got a problem, and then said, okay, now we got to fix this problem, and then they go to fix the problem, and they don't fix the problem. They make things worse, and I don't care what their intention was. They didn't accomplish anything that would change anything that had to do with the FBI case, and they didn't even accomplish the things they set out to accomplish. One of the main reasons they wanted to, to – minimize the July evaluation periods. Basically take three five-day periods and make it one as it relates to grassroots basketball right. slash AAU basketball was they wanted to take the, some of the power back from the shoe companies, power back from the grassroots coaches. 
Ask anybody in basketball. They'll tell you they didn't do that at all. Evidence being most of the top kids in the country, in fact, almost all of the top kids in the country, they skipped the NCAA-sponsored um, camps. Right. The idea was we'll take the power back from these grassroots coaches. We'll, we'll, we won't allow them to have an evaluation period last week of July. College coaches won't go to their events. Maybe their events will keep going or not, hopefully not. But either way, we won't let the college coaches go. The college coaches will be allowed to go to these NCAA camps. And so then the kids will go to the NCAA camps because they want to be seen. Nope. Grassroots coaches kept those kids. They either shut them down or they, they're still in Vegas. They're, yes. just, they're playing in Vegas. Still happening. Right now. They're playing in Las Vegas, even though college coaches couldn't be there. And what the NCAA didn't properly recognize is that, A, um, these grassroots coaches felt like you undercut them. Like you tried to blame them for everything. Like, this is the problem. Let's get rid of these guys. Well, they just double middle fingered you. And so they weren't going to, like, play along with you. And, and, and then secondly, what they failed to realize, I think, is that these tournaments that are going on in Vegas, they're big moneymakers. It's a business. These, you got men making lots of – and women making lots of money out there. These tournaments weren't just going to disappear. And I've heard multiple people involved explain that the reason these prospects should go to these NCAA-run camps that they just got through skipping is because they're well-run, which I'll acknowledge. I'll, I'll say, I'll, even though I've heard some coaches say they weren't I'll really. speak to that in a minute. Yeah, but, but yes. it's fine. Yeah. Uh, let's just for the sake of the conversation. Okay. They're well-run. They're well-funded, getting good instruction. I'll concede all those points, even though I don't know they're true 100% across the board, whatever. They go, hey, they're free. You can go to these camps for free. Well, guess what? All the top kids in the country who go to Vegas or Peach Jam or anywhere else with the grassroots team, you know what they're paying? Nothing. They go for free. So they're not picking between going to Vegas, coming out of your own pocket, or going to the NCAA camp for free. They're picking going and living in a dorm on a college campus and doing drill work with a bunch of people they don't know for free. Or going to Las Vegas with their friends and playing in a tournament that they want to win for free. What would you pick? It doesn't matter what you would pick. What are the top players in the country picking? Las Vegas or shutting it down. And I don't know how the NCAA is going to resolve that. They keep saying, well, Wolf, we're going to try to fix it by next year. But unless you cut these grassroots coaches back in and make them feel like they're a part of it, make them feel like they're partners, they're going to keep control of these kids, and you ain't getting them to these camps. Right. All right. So let's talk on the camps and the problems that are addressing the NCAA because I, I have a piece up at CBSSports.com after I went to UConn. So I go, I go to UConn. Um, there is a, there is a, uh, a certain deficiency with these. And, like, the uniforms are way generic. Um, you don't have top-end guys. I describe in the piece, I walk into Gamble. And, like, it's a great venue to hold an event like this, but there's almost no one in there. Like, you can hear the echoes. There are 17 coaches even scouting this thing. The intentions are, are strong. Now, I only went on, on the day where they were just playing games. I didn't see any of the drill work. I can't speak to any of that because I was not there for one of those. When I was at UConn, I spoke with about 10, maybe 12 coaches uh, casually, a couple on the record, few just you know not for attribution which i don't know why you don't need to be you can criticize this on the record don't be afraid to do it but whatever but the whole thing was that i was surprised was none of those coaches even with even with the cover of like having an anonymity gp none of them were like 
this is a waste. I can't believe they're still doing this. All right, I came, but they're, they under no circumstances should the NCAA be putting eight nine million into this again next year. It was more like I'm just tired of complaining. Like right. uh, it's just not going to get us anywhere. So I'm going to try and make the most of this. And by the way, like there were D two D three kind of players there, but a number of mid major coaches said no. There are actually guys here. Brett Nelson, former Marquette assistant, just got the Holy Cross job. I see him. He says, if I was at Marquette, all right, yeah, maybe there's two guys here, maybe. But uh, for me now, I actually need something like this. Right. He's got a, a specific situation, but there's like 10 guys here. So I thought, okay, that's a, that was a little surprising because I wasn't hunting for a negative quote, but I really wasn't getting a lot there. But I came away from the event thinking, all right, there's something here. I spoke with Brady O'Connell, who's the younger brother of Alex O'Connell at Duke. He's not a Duke-level player. He's getting recruited by Mercer and Samford and Furman and those kind of level schools. But he said, without a doubt, this was worth it for me. I wanted to play somewhere. I didn't have another option. He's a, good, he's a kid who's good enough to play on the shoe circuit. He played with Under Armour and Nike Georgia Stars and some Under Armour team this year. Didn't have an opportunity to play anywhere else. This for him, he said, without a doubt, like this was beneficial for me. So I'll give the NCAA credit from – from a mid-major player's perspective, like they're, they are getting something from this because a lot of mid-major level players that might be playing in Vegas, they aren't going for free. Their family's got to pay for the meals, the travel. It is something out of their pocket, whereas with this, it's not. So it's a benefit there. But the bigger picture is this, and I wrote this in the story. If the NCAA wants to have these academies actually have any sort of meaning, cachet, and become legitimate, because I would not say this first year, although you know it was official NCAA stuff, no one viewed it as legitimate. You need, for as much as it helps mid-majors, and it should, like you should have a vehicle for that. I think it is because there are more of those schools than the ones that matter, right? So you need, to, you need to field those rosters. But you need 50, 60, 70 of the 100 best rising seniors to attend these things because when you do that, you will get all the biggest coaches. You will get the most media attention. You will make the event worthwhile and and something that kids should want to attend but i don't think they're going to get there because as you just said here's the problem when the commission on college basketball was formed and condoleezza rice and mark Emmert and all these people labeled grassroots culture to, to be something that was l at least partially responsible for why we got here let's and be honest some of the stuff that went down in the fbi investigation it happened in las vegas during grassroots without Vegas, without a doubt and they decided grassroots is evil Las Vegas is evil. We got to get rid of gra get rid of grassroots in Las Vegas. Yes, and before I continue my thought here, I will say this: I had multiple coaches tell me Vegas was always out of hand, but they felt that it got particularly out of hand in the past three or four years. But just as many coaches this week and before saying, if you want to do that stuff here in Colorado Springs, right. it can easily happen. That's the and and Nike's people don't cheat when they're in Las Vegas any more than they cheat. Right. That might be where they got the deal done. And it sounds like, oh, they were in Las Vegas. But, like, if whatever deal can get done, like, whatever sort of agreement can get done between this person and this person to get Brian Bowen to go to Louisville, that deal can get done in Atlanta hotel room. It can get done in a Colorado Springs hotel room. Yeah. It can get done in of any course, hotel room. Of course room. it can. So take that into consideration without a doubt. But the problem is a lot of the, a lot of the men and women that are in charge of these grassroots teams – are good people with good intentions who have been doing it a long time, have a lot of connections. And the NCAA pissed them off, alienated them, and now you're stuck in a situation where there is, there is, no, win, there is no net win for them 
to bring their best players to go to events like that. They're really you are not giving you already in, insulted them, took away a lot of their opportunities to be around the college coaches and even make even more money right or wrong. They you charge packets for those events and all that stuff, even the side stuff. Right. So now what the NCAA is going to have to do is it's going to have to bring the shoe companies back in. If it w- if it wants to make the academies more than it was, if it doesn't, GP, then if it it's did. happy having uh, NCAA run camps that feature almost no top 100 players, if they're right. fine with what they just get, then they can keep doing. But unless they change, and by change I mean bring the grassroots, the the people who have their fingers in the players. Yes. Unless they bring those people back in, they're not getting those players. Phrasing, but yes. Um, UConn had one top 100 prospect there, Noah Farrakhan, and. That was it, and I, I think Houston might have had a couple. Uh, Champagne might have had one or two. There just there weren't a lot of guys that were that were going to be doing this. So you're going to need to get. And even if even if you were, even you're, there's no union of these of these organizers. You're not going to be able to go and have a board meeting. They all run their own independent little armies, if you will. So even if you can over the next ten months make an effort and convince ten of them to do it. There are still another 80 programs of consequence with players that are still going to be saying, uh-uh, not going to happen. It is a massive hill to climb for the NCAA. And again, if they want it to be what it is, that's fine. But if it's like that, I think the, the attendance from the coaching side will not be an uptick. You had coaches from bigger conference, like, you know, top 40-level coaches going because they said they felt an obligation to go in year one. Not a lot of opportunities. Wait. I think that might dip even more so in year two. So I don't. I don't totally pan what they're doing. There's, it's a lot of good intentions. There are good things about it. But if you want it to be something that is truly beneficial for all levels of college basketball, including the most important one, which is top 50 programs, then there's a long way to go. And you have to loop back in the shoe companies. This basically – GP, I'll wrap here. It basically gets back to uh, the issue of – cutting out these people to begin with was the wrong move it was not the right tactic and if you're gonna if we're gonna go back that way eventually like you're gonna eventually have the academies even if it's got the skills work and all that and that's fine like do it whatever we had one coach paint a hilarious picture with like there were 10 prospects like doing dribble drills with only five balls and like flinging balls I, i won't give the coach up but the but the the image this coach painted was absolutely hilarious and kind of spoke to how it's well intentioned but a little a little disheveled at times. I, I, NCAA's got a ton of work to do, and I don't know if they're going to get there. Well, here's what, here's what I would say. Um, one, I accept your, I don't know, summary that, hey, this does, does do some good for mid-major prospects and mid-major coaches because those camps were filled with mid-major and low-major players. Like, it, like John Calipari had no use at these camps, and, and neither did Mike Krzyzewski or uh, Bill Self or Sean Miller. But, you know, uh, the mid-major coaches maybe did. Low-major coaches, this was, like, useful. Sure. Uh, uh, that wasn't the intent. The NCAA has never done anything to try to help low-major and mid-major coaches, all right? So, like, that, that, is <laughs> something that, that is something that happened because they missed the mark so wildly. In fact, that is evidence of how wildly they missed the mark. The only good thing you can say about these camps is that they give, proper, they give more exposure to mid-major players who would be – um, maybe like in auxiliary gyms in Las Vegas. Like they, they're at these NCAA-sponsored camps for free. Yes. When the best thing you can say is it helped mid-major kids and mid-major coaches, it, it means it didn't do what you wanted it to do. That's, that's undeniable to me. Um, the, you know, I guess we'll go back to Frank Martin because he's been the most vocal defendant of, of, of these camps because he was largely involved with 
um, the decision-making process. Yeah. You know, he tweeted earlier in the week as I think it was Jeff Goodman again. Tweet Jeff was getting quotes, yeah, yeah. quotes from coaches who were at these things, and they were just killing it, right? And Frank like tweeted back at Jeff, like you could tell these coaches who are texting you if they don't want to go, they don't have to. It's not required. And we had lunch with a, a high major coach today, and he said, you know, he referenced that tweet from Frank, and he said, like. It's such a weird thing. Like, well, if you don't want to go, don't go. Nobody makes you. He's like, I do want to go. I want to work. I want to evaluate players. It's my job. Yeah. But you give us Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday of this week, and I could. There was nothing for me to do on Wednesday. I couldn't go. Was it Wednesday when the camp started? It actually started Monday. So Monday okay. to Sunday. Okay. But so, yeah. so, okay, so, so you give me. Mo- you say okay. You can go out Monday. Where am I going? There's no players for me. So this coach, who has been an assistant coach for 10 years now, he said that earlier this week was literally the first time in his entire career since he's been allowed to be on the road, which is a decade, literally the first time he's ever on a a day where he's allowed to be on the road to evaluate prospects where he just stayed home because he was like, there was nowhere for me to go. There were no players at these camps for me. And so when when the the message from the top is, hey, I hear all you bitching about it. If you don't want to go, just don't go. They're like, no, we do want to go. But if you don't have if you haven't set this thing up to where there's players there, there's no reason Mm -hmm. for us to go. So then you get these high major coaches. They're all cramming in, you know, whichever ones are recruiting anybody who's at this USA uh, uh, basketball minicamp that we're at. They all they all come here and they're happy to be here. Because there is a nice collection of talent, unlike the camps. But you and I were here too, mm-hmm. and like it was like let's do ninety minutes in the morning, and then we had a four hour <laughs> yeah. break in the middle of the day, and then it was like okay. which you were all about by the way. By the way, you, I, you'll never hear you, me complain. You about are this. all of, there was no foothill for GP this Dude, time around. I look usually you have to think of. You have to make up reasons not to be at the gym the next morning in Las Vegas. Here it was like there's not starting. To, like I got here on fr- Friday night. Yeah, yeah. I guess it was Friday night. And uh, so I'm looking at the schedule as I'm flying in. And I'm like, hold up. This doesn't even start till 1030 in the morning. And it breaks at 1230. I was like this. And then we don't have to be back till 430. And then it's over at 630. I mean, in total, it's four yeah. hours a day. Yeah. You're in the gym. So for me, whoo, I can't yeah. wait to come back. But for the coaches. They, they, if you're a high major coach, this five-day evaluation period you used to have at the end, end of July where you're watching the best players in the country compete with their teams and their friends and all that stuff, now it's condensed to two days, really, for you, the USA Basketball Days. And those days where it used to be from early in the morning till late at night, it's you get four hours of, like, skill work in the morning, two hours of skill work in the morning, yeah. then two hours of scrimmages yeah. at night, and that's it. And they were like, listen, th- this is good, I guess. Because there's players here, but we're, we're barely seeing them do anything that's useful to us. We're not really evaluating at this point. And I thought it was a hilarious picture. We walked into our hotel <laughs> today. And it's just the contrast between the old recruiting calendar and this recruiting calendar. Like, this summarized it perfect, perfectly. Like, if, if I were going to write about it again, I would start with this. So I'll just tell it. We walk in. It's the middle of the day of the final evaluation period of the uh, year uh, of the final day of the year like coaches are yes. not allowed to evaluate prospects any day going forward between now and the national signing period in November this exact day for the past 40 years 
they're either in a gym or they're driving to a gym. Right. Every every coach in America, essentially. You're, you're in a gym. You're getting your eyes until every minute of the day until you can't anymore. Yes. So we walk into our hotel, and there's a high major coach and his, his, his one of his assistants, and they're sitting in the lobby. Watching Brooks. Watching the WGC <laughs> FedEx St. Jude Invitational on TV, on CBS. They're like Net- lounging. Network of Stars, yes. America's Most Watched Network. I mean, they're list. They're sitting like imagine like just two people sitting in a lobby, like you know, hand on their head, you know, uh, yeah. you know, fist on their head against elbow yeah. up, watching golf. Like last evaluation, these guys. And, and I'm not giving away too much here. Yeah. They they just got this job this off season. There there's somebody who changed jobs yes. this off season. So they they need when you change jobs. Right. This is the bi- these evaluation days are invaluable. It's actually a fairly like the the first summer. It, this is like extremely critical, and so the, it's just bad timing for every coach that got a job this past right. year to be in the spot. These so days. they're sitting there watching golf, and so we sit down with them. And the, you want to know why? There's nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> like there's not like we th- it's it's noon. And we don't have to be back in the gym until 4.30. So there's nothing else to do. There's nobody to go watch. There's no side gym to maybe just go see if there's something interesting in there. College coaches on the final evaluation day of, of, of the year were watching golf. Instead of bouncing from gym to gym, watching dozens, if not hundreds of prospects, they were watching golf. Because the recruiting calendar put them in a situation where there was literally nothing else to do today. And that is just another example. They got it wrong. And I, I, I know we've said it two weeks ago, but y- listen, I, I, it's okay to admit mistakes. But you, but you need to admit the mistake and then try to fix it. Because you took a thing that was flawed, undeniably. But you made it worse. And when you set out to fix a system, fix a thing, and you actually make it worse, that means that you messed up. Now, I'll tell you what I would do if I were them, by pref- and I'll preface it with, they're not going to do this. But if the goal was to get it back to something certainly better than this and arguably even D- better than diff- the old calendar. Different, but not as much of a downgrade. And I would say maybe an upgrade. Okay. It would be this. So what, okay, because I, this, I is a, this is a different... This is what you would do for the recruiting calendar. This is what I would do. I don't think they'll do it, but this is what I would do. Because I can acknowledge, and this was the frustrating part when you hear people who tried to counter-argue my column. They'd go, well, you know, coaches really like the high school stuff in June. I can acknowledge there's some stuff about the new calendar that coaches liked. I, you know, I talked to these guys. There's a thing here that they like and a thing there that they liked, and the high school stuff was one of those things. But, again, if Last, if the previous recruiting calendar is a package, you, I'm gonna set this on the table. The new recruiting calendar is on a package. I'm gonna set it right beside it. You pick whichever one you want. Take the package, not just the little things you like. It take the package. They would all take the previous one. Almost, all, at I least think I think every single one. Literally every person I talked to would take the previous package. So that means you took the package and you made it worse. Here's what I would do. I would keep first off. I I I I've had April evaluation grassroots stuff for EYBL and whatever else. So we'd have that in some form. I would keep one of the high school weekends and hope that the other high school federations got involved because only 18 states held events this right, year. Right, but just a real quick thing on that. Yes, but I've also heard coaches say only 18, but if it's 50, it's a disaster, and it'll never be 50 because, like, you know, Alaska. Nobody's going to Alaska. But, but 
too many gives you too many options. So they almost hope it like levels out at 25 and becomes regionalized. But 18 is so low. It is low. Right. They like it. They almost are like, this is good. I don't want it to get too much better because if you got all these. But anyway, okay. Continue. Either way, and that's not even the point. Yeah, I, I would. I would keep. So right now, there's two high school s- sessions in June. I would keep one of them. And I would move the NCAA run camps to June. I would pre- replace one of the high school sessions with these NCAA r- run camps. Put them in June. Camps are better in June anyway. They're better early than late. So I'd put it there. And then I'd go to the grassroots coaches, anybody I consider to be the power figures. And I would actually, I mean, this would take, again, they will not do this. Right. I'd fly them to Los, I'd fly them to Indianapolis. I'd say, hey, let's sit down and let's talk. You guys know your business probably better than we do. Um, we know some of you are not good people, but we know lots of you are. Uh, that's not how you lead with it, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. go ahead. Like I, I don't, not, this, is not, this is not how you make it. You know what I mean. I know, I know, I know. Um, I wouldn't actually say it to him, but like I've like not not everybody in the room's great, but like not everybody in the room's bad either. And we realize how we might have made it seem like we undercut you because grassroots coaches, grassroots basketball is bad. You help us get your players to our NCAA camps in June. We will give you another evaluation period in July. You've already got the Peach Jam that week, and Adidas does its thing, and Norma does its thing. We took everything away from you. You used to have three weeks in July. We, we cut you down to one. We'll push you back up to two. And is lo- we'll push you back up to two as long as you help us get your players to our NCAA camps in June. And then you have another live evaluation period in, in like this week. Right. And if, it, it's, if it's in Las, Las Vegas, is I acknowledge Las Vegas is wild. It can get wild. But – the Brian Bowen deal didn't happen because coaches happened to be in Las Vegas that weekend. It just it would have happened anywhere, and so you 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 got to you're gonna have to deal with these people. They're not gonna lose control of the players because they've got the players from when they were 14 years old. They got the players before you even know who the players are. So you got to do a deal with them. Tell them we'll give you another evaluation period in July if you help us, uh, you know, get players to camps in June. And then you've got a high school. You've got, you've got grassroots stuff in April. You've got high school stuff in April in June. You've got NCAA camps in June. Then you get uh, top 100 NBA, you know, NBA camp, whenever that yeah. is going to be. And then you USA basketball, whenever that's going to be. And then you got first, you know, the, the first live weekend. First live weekend in July. And then you got last live weekend in July. That that is a much better package. Now. I don't think they want to go back to Las Vegas, and I don't think they want to deal with the grassroots people. But if if your goal, if you stop short of what I just described, I don't think you're going to be able to get players to go to these camps because the people who control the players are going to feel like you undercut them. They're not helping you. Yeah. First, this was the first summer. A lot of dispirited coaches. Some coaches are just like, they're just like, I'm going to make the most of it. You know. This is what it's going to be for the next seven years. They might make tweaks. Don't know what we'll do. But, so, uh, you know, I I like what you're proposing there. They won't do it. The NCAA will have these camps minimum five years. If you told me they existed in 20 years, I'd absolutely believe it. But it's not cheap, by the way. They're paying a lot of people. I think they'll try and get even more prominent people in year number two. Again, to what successes, I don't know, Parrish. Uh, but, like, 
campuses are already in the nomination process. Like it won't be at, it was at Grand Canyon, Houston, University of Illinois, and UConn this year. Uh, it'll be at different spots next year. They want to move this thing around. Where it gets put on the calendar, I don't know. I was underwhelmed by what I saw, and uh, I was told UConn wasn't the best. It wasn't the worst from people that had went to multiple ones. But I don't know. But that's well. The the other thing, and then we'll we'll move on. Okay. But you know, by eliminating quote grassroots basketball or minimizing it, they minimized on competition. They minimized competition. They replaced it with camps in a lot mm. of places. Um, NCAA camps. Um, USA basketball is basically a camp. A lot of skill work, and um, there's a place for all that, but it's not the best place for evaluation, which is what this is supposed to be about, evaluation days. Um, I talked to a coach the other night, and he said, the great thing about grassroots, like there are problems with grassroots. Nobody tries to pretend otherwise, but the great thing about it is, especially with Nike, but also Adidas and Unarmed, but especially with Nike, they created this thing in the EYBL circuit that kids care about. They want to win, and the coaches want to win. And the coaches are with these players. They know them better than we do. The players know each other better than we do. So there's a certain hierarchy to the thing. Like, like if, if this player is the starting point guard for this good team, we're going to assume he's the best point guard on that team. And, like, if this guy gets the most shots and scores, just like if you look around college basketball and you go, okay, this is the best team, and this is the leading scorer on that team, that guy's probably pretty special. Same thing at this level. If there's an EYBL team that's beating everybody's brains in and their leading scorer is scoring five more points per game than anybody else, there's a good chance that's one of the best players in the country. Like, so a lot of the evaluation is done before we even have to get in the building. Like it's, it, the, the, right. uh, it's done by the grassroots coaches who are evaluating the players. They figure out who plays. They figure out who gets the shots. They figure out who gets the minutes, all that stuff. He says, then you got kids, almost across the board high-level kids, Maybe not all Kentucky Duke level kids, but all Division One kids for the most part, and they're competing against each other, and they care, like they they think it's the Final Four. Yeah. And so, what more could we want than the best collection of players, all in one event, competing against each other for something that they care about? That's awesome. When you start dividing it up into camps, even when they start scrimmaging in the camps and competing, the players don't know each other. Coaches don't know the players. They don't know who's. They might not know who's the best equipped to do mm-hmm. what it is they're trying to do. And then there's no passing because everybody's trying to get the shot off. Then the bigs start to realize, God, I'm never touching the ball. So a big gets the rebound. What does the big do? Well, I'm not throwing. I'm not giving the ball up because I'll never get it back. So now you got bigs bringing the ball up to court. And what are we doing? That's what the coach <laughs> said. Now I'm evaluating a six ten power forward bringing the ball up because he knows if he doesn't, he's not getting it back. So what good does that do us? It's amazing basketball. That's what it is. And it's just another it's just another thing where what they took away wasn't actually the worst thing in the world. And what they replaced it with probably wasn't as good as what they took away. And it it leads to a lot of complaining. We've heard a lot of complaining from a lot of coaches. And I know again that some people wanted us to wait until it's all over and we've seen the camps and we've seen USA basketball. Well, it's all over, we've seen it all. And I would double down on what I said two weeks ago and wrote two weeks ago. Um, the previous package is better than this package, and they need to f- they need to acknowledge that and and work on it. Maybe not do exactly what I would want them to do, because I know they won't, but there's definite – I think everybody can agree, and I think even the NCAA people in charge would agree. There's big-time rooms for improvement, and 
um, at least from one year to the next. They didn't make it better. They made it they made it worse. The good news is that is a wrap. I have to think on our 2019 recruiting calendar discussions. We've got more players and things to discuss, including a big commitment. We're going to get to that. But first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way at newbalance.com. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. So, Norlander, uh, let's get to basketball stuff. We were both here at Colorado Springs. We spent uh, all day Saturday and all day Sunday watching some of the best prospects in the country uh, perform to whatever degree in front of uh, some of the top coaches in the country. Like I mentioned earlier, John Calipari was here. Mike Krzyzewski was here. Roy Williams was here. Tom Izzo was here. Tony Bennett was here. Um, I'm just like off the top of my head. People like talk to Mark Fox is here. Sean Miller's here. Uh, like a you know Kermit Davis, Kermit, yeah. Kermit Davis, bunch of Bruce Pearl, Ar- bunch Ar- of coaches. Archie Miller, like Archie Miller. Lot, in fact, there were the only the only big head coaches we didn't see here: Bill Self, Mark Few. Um, man, it's 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 actually I'm I'm trying to think of like of Chris Beard. Was not here, but but the point is, like, majority of top thirty level coaches and and one assistant were, were here. And the, and the difference between here and Peach Jam, and why from a, a um, accessibility perspective, this was better than Peach Jam. From a actual evaluating, watching players compete against other players, Peach Jam is superior to everything. Easily, but in terms of accessibility, this was like as good as it gets because we had access to anybody we wanted after morning session or night session, and we had them one-on-one. I mean, you didn't have to share anybody, did you? No. At Peach Jam, you're not getting anybody one-on-one. I only one-on-one. share you. That's, that's the only that's <laughs> At Peach Jam, you're not really getting any of the top guys one-on-one. Right. But, like, you know, I sat down with uh, uh, Jalen Johnson, the Duke commit, one-on-one. He was great. Um, Paulo Benchero, the class of 2021 stud, he was great. Dalen Terry, the kid committed to Arizona, class of 2020 kid, talked to him tonight. He was awesome. Um, in terms of players you saw, players you spent time with, um, what do you walk away with? From this in particular, um, Dacian Nix has a good story. I'll be writing on him later in the week. Um, don't want to give away too much of the piece, but he is from Alaska. So there's only ever been like 
handful, five or six players ever from Alaska to go D1. Trajan Langdon. Langdon. Can you name the three? The Alaskan assassin. Give me the three most well-known Alaskan Division I. Trivia time. Okay. Three most well-known Division One basketball players to come from Alaska. Trajan Langdon. Yes. Mario Chalmers. Yes. Sarah Palin. <laughs> so close. I thought it was Sarah Palin. So close. Chalmers, yes. The other one played for the same school as Trajan Langdon. Sarah Palin. <laughs> Carlos Boozer. Carlos Boozer, of course. Carlos Boozer. So Dacian Nix is a 6'5". He said he got measured uh, here at the camp. He said he was 6'5", 205. He's a point guard. Um, super interesting prospect. Lived in Alaska till he was 13. Left for uh, left because he wa he was just better than everyone else. He wanted more opportunity, and uh, apparently, like his grandparents, just like the weather up there, like they were just getting old. They had to get out of there. So cold he, in Alaska. Yeah, he said he said he said where you know where I lived, like right now this time of year, like th it's never nighttime, and then middle of February, it's just it's dark at two in the afternoon. Like it's always dark. Who 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 would live there? A lot of people do, man. I know, but why? Though? I know it's it you was ever fascinating. Thought about why? And I say this as somebody who lives in Mississippi. Like, I get it, right? Because I know there are people who say the same thing about me, but at least we get darkness. I know. I feel like— We get darkness in, in July. I know. It's, uh, I can't explain I mean, it's humid it. darkness, but we get it. it. It gets dark sometimes. Would you rather live— No, we don't have to do that game. I would not. Um, I would rather live—I would—like, my nightmare would be live somewhere where it's daylight all the time. I hate light. I don't really like light. By the way, random factoid as I continue this— as we record this podcast, I brought it up because Michigan State tweeted it. We are 100 days from the start of the season as of right now. Kind of wild. Can't wait. You sound so psyched. Dacian Nix was, uh, was definitely an interesting prospect that I watched. Inc just tremendous, tremendous passer. Um, will be uh, probably the best like, passing freshman by the time he gets to college. Uh, really, really liked him. Dewan Wagner's kid, he's young, but he was really good. He was Wani Wags. Wani Wags Dude, Jr. Dude, you man. know you're getting old. A when you get bald. B, you are bald. B when your arms hurt for a week for no great reason. Sledgehammer. See, I was swinging a sledgehammer. And C when a person you covered in college actually covered, not just watched, but like I wrote the stories. Now has a son that you're covering at USA Basketball. What in the world? Wani Wags and Wani Wags Jr. You're in trouble. Um, Bryce Thompson is a 6'5 shooting guard. Played on the Under Armour circuit from Oklahoma. He's being recruited by the Oklahoma schools. His father played for Bill Self when Self was at Shouts Tulsa. Shouts to his father. Shouts to his dad, who's, who's a follower. Maybe he listened to the podcast. I hope so. Mr. Thompson? He couldn't have been nicer when we met him tonight, he right? Was, he was very nice. His son uh, has a little bit of a um, hyperextension issue, but uh, he seems to be okay. He got injured while he was out here, but he did stand out uh, prior to that. There is a kid, GP. D did you see this kid from Delaware? He's a 2022 kid. He is – I can't believe it. He looks like a college freshman now. His name is Jalen Duran. He's from Newcastle, Delaware, goes to Roman Catholic High School, Pennsylvania. He's 6'9", 235, 15 years old. He does – it's absurd. He, he, he was just awesome player, stood out, couldn't believe it was 2022. He looks ready to play in college today. Um, is and he then, a future CAA player of the year? Is he a future Blue Hen? No, I think he's a future Villanova Wildcat if I was projecting out right he's now. Gonna, he's going to escape Delaware. 
Uh, there are other there are other schools recruiting. That. I, I I'm just saying that because I know that Villanova is recruiting him, and there are probably. I feel like if you grow up in Delaware, you got to be a blue hen. I don't th- I don't think that's how it. Goes. Who's the other great players from Delaware? Do we have any? Sure, there are. I just don't know who they are. That's a great question. Right. Who's the best? Who's the best basketball player ever from Delaware? Someone listening to the podcast is going to have an answer. I don't have it. I have for no you. idea. Can you Google it real quick? Best basketball yes, player Google, from Delaware. Yes. Put the mic down. I'll 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 fill for a second here. Um, another guy who really stood out here for fans who might be tracking these recruitments. Um, there was a 2020 kid uh, that was really good, named Adam Miller out of Chicago. Thought he was pretty awesome when we saw him out here. Um, Ooh, I got a list. Okay. Okay. How many, how many, like, a couple good ones? You could have asked me to name uh, 500,000 things we might talk about on this podcast, and I would have never gotten to best basketball player from Delaware. By the way, there was a guy named Grady Dick here. Good player. Anyway. um, I've actually got, like, a top seven list here. Would you like to go <sighs> through it? Guessable. Is it guessable? Not for you. None of them? It might be for somebody from Delaware. None of these are guessable. I don't think you would guess any of these people. And you you Google best basketball players ever from Delaware. That is what I that's what I did. By the way, Delaware, the lowest highest point. I don't know what that means. Delaware, Delaware's highest point. Mm-hmm. Like you know, we, right now we're what six thousand feet above sea level. You say so. Okay, Colorado has well McK- McKinley is the highest. So Colorado has like the second or thirdest highest point. It probably has one of the highest lo- the highest lowest points. If you know what I'm saying, that's the highest lowest point. Delaware, uh-huh. its highest point above sea level is the lowest. We is the lowest country. among all fifty states. All right, now tell me why that matters. It's just a factoid. We're talking Delaware. Right, okay, okay, okay. All right. Um, no, I don't think you can guess any of them. But uh, how about this? I'll give you clues. Lowest highest point. Yeah. This the f- player the from first, Delaware, the first state. Delaware is our first state. You didn't know that. That's bad. So. I don't feel like you I learned that, that in second grade. I well, I forgot a lot of stuff. You know how long ago it was since I was in second grade. You know how long, long ago it was since Delaware became the first state. Anyway, continue. <laughs> okay. Shoulder, shoulder, shoulder. All right, give me seven. This this player from Delaware was a recent Final Four Most Outstanding Player. That's gotta be no. Okay, re Jenkins. Nope. Okay. So Jenkins was 16. 18, but that's eight. Who was the mop for the second one with Nova? Is it the Nova player? Dante. Oh, DiVincenzo. Dante DiVincenzo. From from Delaware. Delaware. Yeah. Yes. Uh, So Dante. Dante. Dante, White Dante is from Delaware. AJ English. Yeah. From Delaware. Okay. Dexter Boney. No clue. You don't know Dexter Boney? We've gotten to Grady Dick and Dexter Boney on the same podcast. Dexter Boney uh, went to Brandywine High School there in Delaware. He was All-State, scored more than 2,000 points, went to junior college, and then he played... He was a CBA Most Valuable Player. This is guy. This guy's number two on the list. He was a CBA Most Valuable Player. Played He's eight not games. better than Dante. No, already he's not better than Do- Dexter Boney is overrated. <laughs> there will be no shouts to Dexter Boney. No, not Dexter Boney. If I were doing a Politex column tonight, it'd be on this. <laughs> How are you going to have De- Dexter Boney number two? That's ridiculous. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever so heard. Who's, who's number one? AJ English is number one. AJ English is number one. Walt Hazard. How oh, is oh Walt how Hazard? Is, how is how Dexter, is he not number one? How is Dexter Boney ahead of Walt Hazard? 
How did that happen? I need you to publicly name where this list came from. Ranker.com. Uh, Ranker. Terrible. How are you? Walt Hazard is the answer. <laughs> Dexter Boney is ahead of Walt Hazard? Is this done by is this done by the Boney family? <laughs> it might be. What in the world? Dante, Dante was for Stephen Graham. I got nothing. Stephen and Joey Graham, the Graham brothers. Okay, there we go. Went to Oklahoma State. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ronnie Murphy's on the list. That's Wait, it. hold on. Stephen Graham's five. Where's Joey Graham? Seven. He's seven. And I felt like Joey, Joey was, was better. better. Yeah. <laughs> if I remember, Terrible list. I thought Joey was better. <laughs> what are they doing? What is doing? They can't even get the Graham brothers right. Nah, Wait no till good. Doug Gottlieb gets his eyeballs on this. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> How mad is he going to be about, gonna be fired up. about this Oklahoma he's State gonna, stuff? He's going to be fired Anyway, up. what were we talking about? You're talking about the players that stood out here. I named uh. a bunch. You named a bunch. If you got nothing else, I mean, we can No, run. well, uh, listen, I spent some time. I'm going to write a column at some point this week uh, okay. on, a, on a young man. He's... he's I'm not, not going to pretend I discovered him. <laughs> that's that's what I used Mr. to do. Mr. Banchero? Yeah, Paulo uh, Banchero. He's ranked fourth in the class of 2021. That means he's about to be a junior in high school. Six-time forward, big dude, nicely skilled. Yes. Um, over the past two weeks, he's gotten offers from Duke and Carolina. Already had offers from Kentucky and, I mean, everybody. What's interesting about him, besides the fact that I sat down with him for about 20 minutes, he could not have been more impressive. Like, he's 16 years old. I, too, am the father of a 16-year-old, and my son is super impressive as well. I, I just put it this way. You don't always sit down with 16-year-old um, uh, athletes, and they're, like, really thoughtful. and To no and fault of their own. No, I mean, what it was. Of course. But, like, I'm just saying I couldn't have been more impressed. Went and sat down with his father. Could not have been more impressed. Seems like an amazing family. Here's what's interesting to it, uh, about it to me. He's from Seattle. Dad played football at Seattle. Mom played basketball at Seattle. Uncle was on the, I mean, at Seattle. Dad played football at Washington. Washington. <laughs> Mom played basketball at Washington. Bro, uh, uncle was on the national championship team at Washington. So the uncle is in the Washington Sports Hall of Fame because he's on that team. The mother, when she left school, was like the all-time leading scorer. She's in the Hall of Fame. By the way, won like a gold medal with USA Basketball when she was like a, a junior team member. Mm. So, like, incredible athletic family. They all went to Washington. He's from Seattle. There's a tremendous amount of pressure on him to go to Washington. But now Duke's involved. Carolina's involved. Kentucky, it's all the big boys. So it's like in the state, he's got Washington-Gonzaga options. And then he's got, um, you know, the schools he mentioned to me. Kentucky, Duke, Carolina, Memphis, Tennessee. And I mean Memphis and Tennessee. Yeah. Um, and it's like it to me. It's 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 one of those always interesting stories, like when Malik Monk was in Arkansas, got tremendous amounts of pressure on him, stay home. But here's John Calipari. What are you gonna do? James Wiseman, in Memphis, a tremendous amount of pressure to stay in Memphis. But Kentucky wants you. What are you gonna do? Um, you know, and the, and 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 now it looks like, uh, uh, Paulo Benchero is the next one of those, or one of the next one of those. Incredible prospect like really like it's hard to imagine him not being in the nba for 10 years i cannot see him like when you know two years from now when he's entering and we do our top 100 uh, hold me to it like we can't have him outside the top 20 didn't you say he's one, already didn't good. you say one yes high major and we mean the highest of high majors I, I i a high major coach told me that if the team his team played a game 
tomorrow he would start for them. Right. And he is going to be a junior in high school. And, and he it, looks the part. He's going to be a junior in high school. This team you're referencing, we'll keep it vague, is going to be a preseason top ten team. Yeah. And this coach said that guy right now who's about to be a high school junior could start for our team tonight. Yes. He's that he's that kind of he's good, man. He's very he's, good. He, he's just one of those guys you see three to five of these every summer when we go out. But you wa- like you watch a game GP for five minutes and it's like uh, it's just blatantly obvious how good and different he is from most other players. Right. So I spent time with him, time with his father, and I couldn't like they seem like a tremendous family, but they've got a really fun but also stressful two years ahead of them. Because as Paulo told me, like. I've been going to Washington football games my whole life. We have season tickets. My dad played football there. And my whole life I go. It's fun. It's what we do on the weekends. Now when I go, now it's a thing. People yeah. take a picture. Right. Paulo's on an unofficial visit. It's like, what? No, I'm just with I'm my just, parents. I'm just, a, I'm just watching us. I'm, I'm watching us play the Beavers, man. Yeah, I'm just yeah. at a football game, you know? So it's like this it's it's just a, an interesting uh uh deal. And then an, a, another thing, and this is why I talked to D- Dalen Terry, a top 40 kid who's committed to Arizona right now, class 2020. Um, I was interested in the idea of players recruiting other players because that has become a big thing now. Like, you commit to a school, now it's your job to recruit to that school. Like, I know one of the reasons Penny wanted to get James Wiseman committed so quickly was now you got to go recruit, and he did. He recruited like crazy for Memphis, and it helped them get the rest of the class that became number one. And so Jalen Johnson, who's committed to Duke, is here recruiting for Duke, like acknowledges it. And I went to Dalen Terry. And I was like, so you're committed to Arizona. How hard are you working for Arizona right now? He's like, I think I'm the best recruiter here. He said, you know, I know who my coach, who Arizona coaches want, so I'm recruiting them. But then I'm recruiting five other guys that I would like to be with. And it's just this – and, it, and it's, it's – the reason it's, it's interesting is because it's, it's relatively new. Yes. Because it's group text and group chats and FaceTimes and all this stuff that didn't exist five years ago, ten yeah. years ago. And so, whether I was talking to Jalen Johnson or Dalen Terry or anybody else, and, and maybe that's just the byproduct. I, I don't know. I don't want to sound too whatever, but like almost every kid I talk to here, really impressive young people. Like yeah. not just impressive talents, yeah, but just impressive young people. Uh, when you sit down with them, and maybe that's a byproduct of them being in this system. I don't know. And the last thing I'd say on this is tonight, um, Patrick Baldwin, who is twenty twenty one, twenty twenty one, so rising junior. Top five kid. Yeah, in hard, to, hard to see him not being a top ten pick. Well, whatever. we sat down with somebody earlier this week, and they were like, I don't know how good I, he is. I don't – Dude, he was awesome. Yeah. Tonight, he looked <laughs> the part. Like, yeah. if you didn't know anything about him, you're just watching the players up and down the court, you're like, yeah, that's an NBA player. Yeah. He looked the part to me. Easily. So, um, anyway, it was uh, uh, a worthwhile couple of days here, and we'll both be having columns written CBSSports.com. Yeah, over the over the, the next the uh, few yes. days, like you mentioned earlier, there is some significant recruiting news from the weekend. B.J. Boston committed to Kentucky. It's a five-star prospect, obviously. Consensus top ten recruit in the country. Six-six wing from Georgia, who's transferring by the way to Sierra Canyon High to play with Bronny James and Dwayne Wade's son. They're building a super team really at are. Sierra Canyon. Uh, B.J. Boston's going to be a part of that. Uh, he scores at all three levels. He averaged twenty-two points, eight rebounds a game on the EYBL circuit. First commitment class of 2020 for Kentucky, and Kentucky beat Florida, Auburn, Oregon, and most notably, Duke, mm-hmm. uh, to get him. What do you know about B.J. Boston? Uh, good player. The kind of player who he's a top 10, so this is nothing against Boston whatsoever. Uh, it's not meant to – I could see him being a really solid freshman 
but like the kind of guy where like if he opted to come back for a sophomore season, like he'd be a top ten kind of player in America. I think you're describing PJ Washington. Yeah, but he's not the same kind of player at no, all. No, he plays right. nothing but like But you're him. right. You know what? You're but the right. the same kind in, of career trajectory. You, you, you are right. In terms of where he's ranked now, how he's viewed, yes. And good on Kentucky to get an early commitment like this. I feel like, Parrish, I feel like a lot a lot in recent years, they've been. it's just been further down the calendar. They got that first commitment, mm-hmm. and they've, they've eventually landed mo- in most years in that one or that two spot, but it's taken some more time. Boston committing is a really good get for them. I think he's a really fun – Fun prospect. I think his personality, his style fit well to Kentucky. Like I, I think there have been a couple players in recent years that went to Kentucky. They've been fine, but I, I, I don't know. I, they didn't seem like a natural fit. Boston, to me, actually does very much feel like that. Um, so we're starting just now with Boston committing. You'll get a few guys that like to get in early. I always think that – I actually think that process is always fascinating. The guys that want to commit this early or even earlier – uh, Jalen Johnson, mm-hmm. Duke. Um, Are those the only top tens right now? Jalen Johnson, might and B.J. Boston. I don't have the list in front. Of, they might be. If you look among like top thirty, there might be another one in there. Um, but we're gonna wait and see on some other ones. Like a guy who was not here, Cade Cunningham. You know, his older brother has been hired. At, Get on, that done already. Jesus. Has been hired on staff at Oklahoma State. Who are we kidding? Just I'm, commit and be done with it. Shit. Evan Mobley, too, by the way. Yeah. Just commit what and are be we done doing? with it. I know. Mobley was what are we uh, doing? Top two players in the class, uncommitted, even though they have relatives on high major staff. Yeah. Just get it over with. I know. So, But we wait on guys like that to, like, just, to, just to get it done. And then what dominoes fall thereafter with that. I'll have a, I'll have a, a story about. Uh, the Cunningham recruitment and uh, how Oklahoma State actually might might really lock itself up a really elite like top ten class for uh, for next season. But but Boston's a great he's a he's a great addition and it should be the start of. I mean it's it's n- it's not breaking news here, but when you've got other schools entering the fold in terms of trying to get into that one two spot overall, Kentucky is probably going to be well positioned to fight again to be a number one or number two and as you said earlier over lunch since cal's first year the wall cousins class you had kentucky or duke for Actually, it, 10 I, straight years it's 11 now it's and, 11. and by the way like people forget this in fact i forget it but i looked it up today after we talked just because i wanted to make sure billy gillespie actually signed the number one recruiting class in america he did heading into his last year so from 2008 to 2018 it's an 11 year run either Kentucky or Duke had the number one recruiting class in America. And now you've got Duke and Kentucky both pushing for early commitments here. And you wonder if it's because of what happened last year. Um, They both lost prospects to Memphis, and Memphis ended up with the number one Mm -hmm. uh, class in the country. And you wonder if they were never just competing against each other, but there's obviously like another thing out there now that's a thing that they have to at least be aware of and respect and um, I, I don't know that that pushes them to be a little more like, hey, let's get this done now. Yeah. But they they both have gotten something done already. With Duke, it's two five stars already, and Kentucky has one. And the point you make about Kentucky getting this done early, like I, I know that that staff wanted to get this er- done early, not just so they'd have one on the board. They're always going to get it done at the end, no matter right. what, somehow, some way. They're not trying to get on the board early. They don't. Need, they got nothing to prove to nobody. They think B.J. Boston, the staff does, is exactly what we were talking about earlier. They, everybody likes him. People want to play with him. Yeah. And they think now, okay, you're with us. Now, now go recruit. 
Like people like you. People want to play with you. And um, no, th- th- that's not true of every prospect out there, even every elite prospect. Like in right. recent years, I mean, I'll just say it because I know it to be true. There were high, elite level high school players who didn't want to play with Trey Young in college. There were elite level high school players that didn't want to play with R.J. Barrett. Like there's been it's it's been multiple players. Yes, there was concerns that R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson. Now it worked out well, but there were even there were rumors that they would even want to play with each other. So this yes, continue. But, but, the, but this I happens. was I was told that there were high major staffs that listen. I think they would have taken Trey Young. I'm not trying to say they did, but like they were like it was something they needed to consider. Like if we take this guy, does it hurt us with this guy? If we take this guy, does it hurt us with that guy? I mean, frankly, another one, and I say this with all due respect because he's an incredible talent, and I can't wait to watch him this year. And I'm a big fan of his father, who I used to work with and 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 like. But I've heard that about Cole Anthony. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a thing. If you talk to recruiting analysts and, yes. and college coaches, it they'll is. tell you like Cole Anthony is amazing. Uh, I don't know how many players wanted were anxious to play with him. Like, if you took Cole Anthony, would that hurt you with another kid? Right. I don't know, but that that that's a thing people were talking about. Mm-hmm. I'll just leave it at that. And I say that again as respectfully as I could say it, because right. Cole Anthony is awesome. He might be the number one pick in the draft. Um. B.J. Boston is, I'm told, somebody kids like, somebody kids want to play with, and you get him on board, now he's going to go out there and try to get the next guy on board, the next guy on board. It can be a real advantage to have him working for you on July 28th. I agree. Yeah. Like, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strong early commitment. They don't need it. I think coaches always love when they can get one just done at this, at this stage. They'll just kind of get one off the board. And now, you know, we always kind of dip our toes in the recruiting stuff. And then as we move forward here, like you might get one or two interesting prospects, but as we just spin this forward, as we wrap up the pod now, GP, like I think that whenever we talk next, or if not next, the one after that, like as we get into August, it's going to be Canada coaches stuff and what schools get NOAs from the NCAA. Over the, I think that is, I think that those will be the topics for August. I, I think it's an. I feel like we got one more recruiting calendar podcast in us. Oh, we re- we absolutely <laughs> we do not. By the by the way, to uh, to loop back to our podcast from two weeks ago, um, I watched Aquaman on my way down here, so I watched Jason Momoa. No dreams with Jason Momoa <laughs> since then, so I've been Jason Mo- Momoa free. And uh, yeah, this was this was we had like a weird break in between, but I had my week vacation, did Vermont. High school reunion, all that kind of stuff. You look like the kind of guy that would not go to your high school reunion, though. I've never been to one of mine. Yeah, and it's not because I w- I wouldn't go. I've, I've they've all they don't plan around my schedule as they should. <laughs> like seriously, I'm the star of the class. <laughs> There's no getting around it. Why wouldn't you plan around my schedule? Oh boy. Why wouldn't you reach out to me and go, GP? You're going to be in town because what is the class for? What is the point of doing this if you're not going to be there? So um, I've never been in town for one. I don't think. Yeah, the, this was the, my 20 year, the, the 10 year. Shouts to South Burlington High School. It was a good time, but uh, but yes. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we're rambling. It's officially a podcast. Hour and five minutes. Anything else you want to get to before we kind of wrap up and wherever the month of August is going to take us? I don't know. I just don't understand this. How you can have Stephen Graham fifth and Joey Graham seventh? That's t- or Dexter Boney ahead of Walt. I Hazard. feel like there's got to be more good players from Delaware. AJ. Uh, this, well, I'll tell you what. I will tell you this. What's his name? Oh, gosh. Just an absolute beast. Newcastle, Delaware, Jalen Duran. I'm putting him at two behind Hazard already. Maybe he's the next extra pony. 
he's going to be better than that. He's, he's, he's surpassed Boney at this point already. You think he's the – you must think he's the next Ronnie Murphy. <laughs> oh, 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 you seem to be implying that he could be a grand brother. <laughs> but, but do you think he's Steve, more Steven or more Joey? I remember them grand, grand brothers. I think they played with, like, Tony Allen. Yeah, that was the same era. That whole team was, like, 24 and awesome. They, they went to a Final Four. Mm, yeah, they did. They went to a Final Four. Yeah, they did. Because yeah. they stopped Phil Martelli from going, Jameer Nelson. Yep, that those, was that year. Those sons of bitches. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wrap it up, GP. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle, the legend. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to... Dexter Pony and please No! <laughs> yeah. He's not getting any shouts. Shouts to Dexter Pony. How dare you? He's, he's say, according to Ranker, he's the second best player ever from 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 Delaware. One spot ahead of Walt Hazard. Terrible. Seems crazy to me. Please go subscribe to the On College Basketball Podcast. I, actually, you don't have to. I don't know why you would at this point. No, you absolutely <laughs> should. We are we are also on spot they they tell us like we're on Spotify. All sorts of stuff. So just download, subscribe, all that good hey, stuff. In all fairness, where else are you going to get a breakdown of basketball players from Delaware? Nowhere. You, th you, you think Titus and those guys are doing that? There is no, no shot. Chance. No, no chance. chance. Let's see you guys break down the Delaware basketball players oh, if you think you're so good. Uh, bring it on, <laughs> fellas. Rate it favorably. Five stars with nice comments. Uh, go do that. We'll talk to you again real soon. Until then, take care. <laughs>